Well, good morning, church family. So glad to have you on January 10th, snow apocalypse, right? What does this mean for the year? <laughs> Anywho, um, name is Brandon Ziski, lead pastor here at Austin Knows Church. Good morning to all of you who are watching online, joining us online, wherever you are at. We are honored that you would allow us into your home, your vehicle, your wherever you're at. And some of you are probably in your PJ still. If I wasn't here, that's probably where I would be. Um, hopefully you're out of bed though. So what I want to do this morning as we start off this message, I, I want to go back to uh, a habit that we used to do as a church family when we were gathered, and I think it's an appropriate thing for us to do. So let's stand as we read the word of the Lord. So even for you who are watching online at home, I want to encourage you to stand um, with us as we show honor to the word of the Lord. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Father, we come to you this morning in humility. We come to you as a broken people, a people who need a shepherd, who need a fixed and living hope, a people who need a savior. We come to you, Lord. Lord, we also recognize that for us to understand your word, we need your spirit. So we pray that you would grace us this morning by your spirit. Would you open our eyes and our heart to receive whatever it is that you'd have for us, Lord? Would you bring about conviction and truth that leads to righteousness in life? So Father, we acknowledge that we are your people. We are your church. Lead your church. Purify your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take a seat. It all started out with Jesus inviting a few people to follow him. And his concern wasn't programs or methods, but it was people who would invest into other people who would then invest into other people who then would eventually reach other people. And when we look at the three years of Jesus' ministries as we see it in the Gospels, it didn't seem as if his early efforts had a lot of uh, effect. In fact, a lot of people were seeing what he was talking about and not seeing the byproduct. They weren't seeing what they were hoping for out of his ministry, but it didn't matter because it built the foundation of the movement of God. You see, Jesus, he chose unlearned, ignorant people, normal people, abnormal people, and regular people. He chose people to follow him who would normally not even associate with one another. People were gathered together to follow Jesus that you would never see eating a meal together. And it was going to be through them. Yes, through them that the mission of God would be achieved. They would be his church. 
Now, I know we've said it multiple times here at Austin Oaks Church, but it also is a saying that is true of all churches that the local church is the hope of the world through Jesus. As the church acts like Jesus and looks like Jesus and imitates Jesus, Jesus devoted his three-year ministry on training and developing a few people. He banked or he staked his whole ministry and his whole strategy on these few, on these 12 individuals. Even when the masses didn't want anything to do with him, even when the world would just speak ill of him and wanted to cast him aside, it didn't matter. It wouldn't ruin his strategy. It wouldn't thwart his strategy. It was all about being with and developing the teaching of few. And those few would take that message, powered by the Holy Spirit, and teach another few, and so on and so forth. And we would eventually see this snowball turn into a force of good, the movement of God in this world. Now, don't, don't mistake that Jesus ignored the masses. He totally didn't. He didn't neglect them. He didn't neglect the needs around him. He just didn't stake his movement on the masses. He knew that in order to effectively reach the masses, the world, he needed to invest into a few. He wasn't trying to impress the crowds. He wasn't trying to build a platform. He didn't jockey for power or position of prestige. He didn't care about what people were saying or how many people would tweet about him. He simply called 12 to be with him. And we can see this summarized in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says that he appointed 12, or he chose 12. Well, why? So that they might be with him and eventually that he might send them out to preach. You see, Jesus had a very key and specific strategy. He wanted to teach them, to show them, to talk with them, to eat with them, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to show them how to live in this kingdom that is so unlike the kingdoms of this world. He was beginning to teach them and show them that, hey, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And if you want to be great, you better serve. And when one insults you, you bless them. If they curse you, return that curse with a blessing. If they strike you, we'll turn the other cheek and let it strike you. If they want your cloak, we'll give them more. Love your enemy. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Where love of God is the filter that ultimately determines how we love our neighbor. That's what he was teaching this few. And in time, he began to teach them that this life of following Jesus, yes, it's full of joy and yes, it's full of blessing, but it has to be the way of the cross. It has to be the way of self-sacrifice and surrender. You need to count the cost in order to follow me. In order to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. You want to find life? Well, you got to give your life. Well, that's not an appealing message to the masses. But these 12 who were with Jesus, close to Jesus, they knew there was something more to this message. They knew that there was something right about this call to follow Jesus, to give your life for the sake of others. They knew that there was something life-giving in it because they not only heard him talk about it, but they seen it in him. And that dynamic really shows up clearly in John chapter 6. Jesus has a mass of people around him. He just fed the 5,000 people. And he was teaching us like, hey, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you got to count the cost. It's the way of the cross. And after teaching this, we see this scene 
after many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. In other words, the masses of people that were following Jesus, that wanted the things of Jesus until he raised the bar on them. He's like, ooh, this is too hard. They turned around and walked away. And then Jesus looked to those 12 that he chose to be with them and said, do you want to go away as well? Well, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The crowds left, but those few stayed. It was beginning to sink in. It was getting into their hearts. But as the story unfolds, we know that Jesus gets arrested. Eventually to be crucified. And at that time, the disciples, well, they tucked tail and ran away. They fled. They denied him. Jesus gets crucified. And you can imagine the hopes of these 12 were completely dashed. What was this about? How, why did we invest our three years of our life and give up everything for this guy? Now it's all over. But in three days, they experienced something that never happened before. Jesus conquered death in the grave. He meets with them again and other people who follow Jesus, and he imparts to them the mission of all missions, the sole mission that is designed and meant to flip the world upside down, to be the movement of God in this world. And Acts picks up, and we see Jesus ascending back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and the movement of God picks up steam, and it moves from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts that talks about the move of God through the local church ends as if we are to pick up the story. Acts 28, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Oh, and I love these next words they will listen. You see, I'm convinced that that moment in John 6 was the pivotal moment in those disciples. That moment in John 6, when Jesus turned and asked them, are you going to leave too? Was the moment where they started to understand what it meant to be part of the move of God. You alone, Jesus, have the words of life. You alone, Jesus, are the way, the remedy, the solution. You alone are the hope of the world. Where else will we go? Maybe that's an appropriate question to be asking ourselves today as the church. Where else have we gone? Where have we run to? Where else have we placed our hope? Where else have we attached our heart and our allegiance to? Where else have we gone? If you want to know the answer, well, look at your behaviors. If you really want to know, look at the words that come out of your mouth because the words that come out of our mouth are probably the best reflection of our heart. Where else has the church gone? If we placed our hope in the election, in vaccines, in the economy, or in anything else besides Jesus, you have gone somewhere else. You alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. You alone, no one else. Where else will we go? So we need to look at ourselves, church. As we start 2021, I think it is so important for us to look into our hearts. Look at the church. Look at your life. Look at your family. Look at your relationships. What do you reflect? What do your words reflect? Does it reflect Jesus or the world? Does it reflect the gospel or some political platform? Have we as the church, as followers of Jesus, have we lived lives worthy of the gospel in 2020? 
Were our lives worthy of the message of Jesus? Were we more concerned with advancing the kingdom of God than what happens in November? Have we forgotten our majestic mission? Have we simply just packed it up and assumed that other agencies or other things would do the work that only the church of Jesus Christ can do? Did the political party or something else become our church? I mean, this past week, what happened in our nation was extremely unsettling. In fact, let's just be honest. It, it was a culmination of things where almost all of 2020 was unsettling. It's been heavy. It's been sad, confusing, anxious, stress, fear, anger, hopelessness, frustration, resentment, bitterness. And it's not just politically, but it's also because of the pandemic that we're in. We have been isolated from community. And let's just be honest, we probably picked up some bad habits along the way. I can guarantee you that probably everybody in this room's screen time increased. So many voices, so many different opinions. What's true? What's not true? How do we know? Which news station can tell us the right things when every news station is reporting the same events, but both of them are somehow communicating it differently? All the while, we're in this pandemic, isolated from community. Both sides of the aisle, every news station thinks they have the market on truth. We hear things like fake news and real news and, and censored and uncensored. And like, what do we know? How do we know? What is truth? And the reality is, the reality is, church, generally speaking, we seem to have been more in tune with the current events than with God's heart. It feels like instead of having our minds renewed by the Spirit of God, we've had our minds renewed or infiltrated and consumed with whatever we put in front of our eyes. And I know it happened. Please hear me clearly. There is so much grace. Grace abounds. But I know it's happened. I know it happened within the church. I know that believers have been in front of media outlets more than they've probably been in front of Jesus. Having, allowing our hearts and minds be transformed by CNN and Fox and Facebook and Twitter or whatever platform there is more than the word of God. I, I have been too. I will admit that there's been a season where it was like, I couldn't stop reading the news. I couldn't stop following what was happening on Twitter. And I saw what was happening inside of my heart. And then I had to do a gut check and ask myself, have I been listening to Jesus more? No. Jesus was clear. What comes into a person eventually comes out. We will always reap what we sow. God will not be mocked. It's a law. It's a principle that he created and established. Not only that, we imitate who or what we follow. Where else shall we go? You alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. Where have we gone to? Here's the thing. Discipleship is the end game, period. And don't think for one second that somehow discipleship is a Christian concept, like Christianity has the market on discipleship. Discipleship is the strategy for any platform, for any organization, for anything, ever. The world, the devil, news stations, all of it is in the business of discipleship. 
You reap what you sow, garbage in, garbage out. You become like what you worship. The words that we speak reveal the heart. So where have we been going to? Now, I want to say a few things, and I've been praying and wrestling all week. And I remember Wednesday trying to write the introduction to this sermon, and I was excited to launch this movement that we're going to do in this church, and then all of a sudden, everything else starts to unfold. And I felt like God grabbed my heart and said, I have something I want to share, but wait. And so it turned into like brewing a tea for some time and I had to wait and I was wrestling with the Lord and all the things. And, and I feel like there's a few things that God put on my heart that I want to share with you. The success of the church, the health of the church, the power of the church, the influence of the church, the movement of the church, and yes, even revival within the church is not and will never be dependent upon the government, but on God's spirit. Period. I was so grieved with what I saw on TV this past week. Just like I was grieved with any other protest that turns into riots and violence and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is I'm not surprised by it. We as believers shouldn't be surprised by it because we're sinful people. We're selfish people. We want what we want. But what broke my heart more than anything, especially last week and the whole year that we've been in this, was how people have been using Jesus and God's word and the church for political influence, power, and positioning. Both sides have been doing it. And an outside world is watching. What we saw on TV, the violence, the riots, and then putting Jesus' name on it, no, 100%, no, that is not the gospel. That is not the way of Jesus. That's not the movement of God. Well, Brandon, some, Jesus went into the temple and flipped some tables over and was full of righteous anger. You're correct, he did. But that was not government. That was his house. That was a house of prayer, a place of worship where people were distorting and creating obstacles and barriers from people coming to be able to worship God. Not even close to the same thing. Christian nationalism is not the way of Jesus. The movement of God, the building of his kingdom will never be achieved that way. It's not achieved by force, not by manipulation, not by seditious acts, and it's not going to be achieved by vote. It's achieved by love, mercy, speaking the truth in love, sacrifice, generosity, Standing for justice and sowing seeds of righteousness. Now that's not to say that the things of government are important. They absolutely are. But the gospel in the way of Jesus is infinitely more important than any government or anything that happens in any government. It's good to be involved and we ought to be involved. It's good to have opinions and convictions politically. But none of them should ever supersede the gospel. None of them should ever take the place of the mission of making disciples. None of them should become a hindrance for the gospel in your own life and in the lives of others. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but the kingdom of our Lord stands firm forever. What's more important? You alone have the words of eternal life. The other thing that broke my heart, and I surely breaks the Lord's heart is when followers of Jesus shame other followers of Jesus. Shame anybody. Shaming is not the way of Jesus. 
shaming someone for who they voted for or who they didn't vote for is not the way of Christ. And Satan is laughing because it's sowing division. That is his best game right there. To create division. And again, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that division exists and it's rampant outside of the walls of church. But my heart is broken more than ever because we have now seen more than ever political division creating division within the very body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know people in the church who won't talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ because of election. That is wrong. It is not the way of Jesus. And I'm going to go there, and I want us to think critically about this. If Jesus bumped into any specific political leader that you find appalling or don't agree with or don't like, how do you think Jesus would interact with that person? Would he cancel them? I mean, we have numerous examples of Jesus encountering such people in the Gospels. Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, the far right zealot who killed people under the name of Jesus or under the name of God. He showed favor and even did miracles for a Roman centurion who oversaw a Roman army who more than likely not too long ago killed fellow Jews. Zacchaeus, Pontius Pilate, That's why I asked earlier, church, where have we gone? Where are we taking our cues? What are we allowing to shape and mold us? What are we about? Who are we imitating? And of course, the rhetoric now that the election's all done and we're moving into, you know, the next phase is people are going, what now? What's going to happen? What happens next in our world, in our nation? And of course, the rhetoric is going to be, well, we need to come together We need to heal and put aside our differences and and become healthy and united again. To which I say yes and amen, but I'm also not holding my breath for it to come through the government. Nor am I going to be surprised if any of our political leaders call for that and then they act opposite. I won't be surprised at all. Because the unity and the health that the nation needs, well, forget the nation for a moment, the unity and the health that people need can only be found through Jesus. That's the only way people can be united and have the peace that transcends all understanding. So church, I ask again, where else will we go? Where have we gone? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. And guess what our mission is as the church? We, the church, we are the movement of God. It's us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to call people to repentance. We are to encourage and urge and plead with people to get right with God, to move away from a life of sin and selfishness to one of love and life and sacrifice, to break the chains of oppression, to listen to our enemies and love our enemies and show mercy to our enemies, to stand for justice and righteousness, to demonstrate the power of God by being with God so we can love others the way that God loves others. We are that movement. And that's why I'm excited for this year. The world needs to hear about Jesus. There is so much hurt, so much frustration, so much confusion. There's so much anger and bitterness, isolation, 
loss. And my question for my heart and for us as a church is, what are we going to do? They're asking the question, what now? And that's why I love Acts 28, 28. They will listen. And that's why we're calling the church here at Austin Oaks Church and any who would join us to come back to square one to remember that we are to be the movement of God here on this earth at this time, in this moment, till Jesus takes us or he comes back. The movement of God is to be this unstoppable force, especially when the church moves to being all in on the sole mandate, the sole strategy to go make disciples, to be about discipleship, to help others meet, know, and follow Jesus. So we at Austin Oaks Church, we're calling people to a year-long journey of imitating Jesus, of being with Jesus, of following Jesus, and taking our next steps to follow him. So yes, 2021 is going to be a year of intentional discipleship because we need to be the movement of God here in this city, in this time, in this nation, and in this world. And so throughout 2021, you can expect us to challenge you, to equip you, to resource you, and we're going to set some goals as a church. We're not going to wait for the dust to settle out there before we get moving and serious on our mission. And one of the things that we're going to do here specifically on Sunday mornings, is the majority of the year, we're going to go through Luke and Acts. If you want to know what the sermon series is going to be for 2021, Luke and Acts. There you go. There might be a few others that pop up in there, but one of the things that we're going to do is we, this is, um, wow, I just blanked. This was on the way in. This is a quarter little book here that are a place where we have the scriptures and notes for Sunday morning sermons, but we're also asking our small groups to go through Luke and Acts together. We're challenging everybody at Austin Oaks Church to have read through diligently and prayed through the gospel of Luke and Acts. And the reason why we're doing that is because Luke, well, he came to know the Lord through a follower of Jesus, and Luke and Acts is a beautiful, beautiful two-volume set of teaching us how to meet, know, and follow Jesus, teaching us and showing us how to take the mission of God seriously, how we can be the movement of God here on this earth. 27% of the New Testament is Luke and Acts. There's Acts of Jesus, the Acts of the church. It's a two-volume set. Here, in Luke and Acts, we see joy as a prominent theme. We see the Holy Spirit as a prominent theme. We see God reaching the marginalized, the outcast, the hurting, the suffering. We see tons of dinner scenes and banquet scenes where people are gathered together, having fellowship together. There's a, a ton of focus on prayer, ton of talking about salvation, amazing scenes of grace and forgiveness. The gospel moving out from Israel to the Gentile world, to the least likelies, to the outcasts, to the enemies who get saved through the power of Jesus Christ. But the reason why Luke and Acts is so important for us and what I want to talk to us for the time that I have left and why this is important, especially as it relates to the things today that are happening around us, is I want us to look at who Luke is and who Luke wrote this letter to. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch 
as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now here's what I want to emphasize. It's important for us to realize that Luke wrote this message, this letter to Theophilus, right during the second generation of Christianity, and it was moving into the third generation of Christianity, meaning the apostles got the Holy Spirit and they started telling people about Jesus, and now it's making this next wave that's out there. Luke, he wasn't a Jew. So how did he know about Jesus? Luke, who was a Gentile, and even some scholars would suggest that he could have been Roman, who oppressed and persecuted Christians. Luke would seem like a least likely candidate to write any part of the New Testament. And yet we have 27% of our New Testament came from the heart of Luke. Luke was a doctor, so he was very detailed. He was probably affluent, pretty wealthy. That means that someone had to go to him. Someone had to help Luke meet, know, and follow Jesus. Someone had to be where he was. Someone had to share the message with Luke. Someone had to love him the way Jesus would love him. Someone had to invest their life into Luke. And it was more than likely the Apostle Paul or Timothy or some people in that group of people that were doing that. But something happened in Luke. He heard about Jesus and he grabbed his heart and he was radically transformed. He experienced the power of God. His heart was so radically changed. He repented of his old way of life. He believed that Jesus died and rose again to save him. Why is that fascinating? Well, he's a doctor. And I don't know too many doctors who would say, yeah, we have a medical condition that happens that causes virgin births. Resurrections. Something had to happen for that man to go, this is true. And then to be a doctor, probably with the medical practice, to write a letter that's espousing a virgin birth and the resurrection, something powerful happened in his life. He experienced that. Now, I know it's so tempting to think uh, when we read these stories of scriptures that the landscape and the cultural context was so smooth. There wasn't any opposition. There weren't any issues. But I need you to understand what the second generation or third generation of Christians were experiencing in the Roman Empire at that time. When the gospel was advancing, the political and religious landscape was intensely worse than anything we are experiencing today. Intensely worse. To be a Christian was to be open to ridicule publicly all the time. In fact, we know that Nero was the emperor of Rome. And we know that they took joy and delight and amusement in torturing Christians, killing Christians for sport. Nero would take Christians. This is not rated G. I apologize. They would take Christians alive, tie them to a stake, douse them with oil, and light them on fire so they would have light for dinner parties. This is the cultural and religious context that Luke heard the gospel. To be a Christian and to be on mission is risky business. 
But the religious environment too was full of controversy. It was like this shadow of anxiousness and, and fear covered the landscape underneath the Roman Empire because there were so many different events that were unfolding that were threatening their way of life. And Luke, as he journeyed with Paul and Timothy on his missionary journeys, he started to experience how the gospel comes in power and these people are hungry to hear truth, are hungry to hear about this God who came, who loves and restores and reconciles. They were hungry for, for something else. They needed answers. They needed hope. And Luke got to see it. As he was being discipled by Paul and Timothy, sitting underneath the teaching, hearing the word of God, and watching their lives, all of a sudden, Luke, it grabs him. He's like, I got a role to play. And somehow, something happens in Luke's heart. He's like, I got to take my role in this movement seriously. And so Luke takes a lot of time, a lot of investment, a lot of risk to write a two-volume set to this individual named Theophilus. Well, who's Theophilus? We have a few clues by the fact that he would address him as excellent Theophilus, which suggests that Theophilus was probably a wealthy Roman aristocrat that had clout or influence. It could have been a group of people as well. Scholars are torn on it, but I think it's both. It doesn't matter. But what we do know is that Theophilus knew some things about God, but didn't know enough. And yet Luke's like, I know. And I love the way that Luke wrote this. He's like, he's done a detailed investigation of all the things concerning Jesus. He's talked to those who've been discipled by apostles. He's read the other accounts and biographies of Jesus that are going out there. He heard all those stories and he was really, really thorough because he wanted Theophilus and other people to know with certainty that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, come what may. I love that. I love that Luke understood that he had a role to play in this mission. Just as someone came to him and told him about Jesus and risked their lives to invest the gospel into his life, now he's like, I got people in my life that don't know Jesus either. I'm going to do all that I can to let him know so that he can place his faith with certainty in Jesus. Theophilus, in my opinion, probably became a Christian. It's just my hunch. Because somehow that letter, Luke and Acts, got out. And now we have it in our Bible. God is at work in this world. Luke caught on to that. He recognized that God was at work in Theophilus. And he joined him in that mission. He took the risk and went there. Jesus' mission was to invest into a few, to call people to be with him, to influence them, to shape them, to renew them. They who would in turn do the same to others and those would do the same to others and those others to others. Luke was part of those others. And we are part of those others. Where else will we go if Jesus has the words of eternal life? Should we not be all about the gospel should we not be all about discipleship? Why would we look anywhere else? Why would we even dare to listen to any other voices to shape us and to mold us? 
And why are we content with other people's voices shaping and molding other people who are lost and hopeless? Church, it's our turn to move. It's our turn to write the next chapter in this great story. It's our turn to be part of the Father's work. It's our turn to be his hands and feet in this lost and hurting world because God is at work. I mean, this past week, I was reminded of that. Tuesday, I was having uh, breakfast with an elder at Kirby Lane. And some waitress, wasn't our waitress, somehow thought that maybe we were having a Bible study. We should have been. We were elders, but we weren't. And she wasn't even supposed to be working that day. Someone needed someone to fill in the shift, and she came in. And something was stirring in her heart to come to our table. And she comes to our table. And she asked for prayer. She doesn't even know us. And it was that moment where I realized God is at work in this world. If we would only have our eyes and our hearts open and ready and willing, there are so many people out there that need this message of hope. It's our turn. So as I conclude, I want to ask three questions. The first question is this. What has been your experience with the gospel? Has your experience with the gospel been full of joy, peace, love, grace, forgiveness, mercy? If so, why are we not sharing that? And if it isn't, if your experience of the gospel might be burden, guilt, or you got to do X, Y, and Z to somehow get favor or approval, or maybe you've never met Jesus, this is the time to meet him. So church, let's spend this year, let's make a commitment today to be with him, to be with Jesus, to experience the heart of God. Commit to having more time with him. Listen, one of the great disciplines you could have is spending time in word and prayer. It's not too late. It's only January 10th. You can start to read the Bible in a year. You just got 10 days to catch up. But what if we committed to that? What if we, like, you just went, you know what? I haven't read my Bible maybe never. Maybe it's been three months. What if you just committed saying, I'm going to go through Luke and Acts? And you just commit to that. You're going to experience the heart of God, I promise you. The second question is this, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Yes, we should be imitating Jesus, 100%. But we oftentimes see Jesus through other people. Paul said this, and Luke knew this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So who are you following? Who is discipling you? Who is showing you the way in the heart of Jesus, the love of God, how he lived. Sheep always need a shepherd. Friends, listen, you're never too old and you're never too spiritually mature to be discipled. Who are you imitating? And the third question is this, who is your Theophilus? Who's in your life that needs to hear about Jesus? That needs you to help them to meet, know, and follow him? who needs you to maybe fill in the gaps or maybe live a life in front of them? What's your experience with the gospel? Who's discipling you and who's your Theophilus? I believe 
that you are not here living by chance on January 10th, 2021. I don't believe that for a second. And neither does Luke. Because he says in Acts 17, verse 26, and he made one man from every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. We are the movement. It's on us through the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we waiting for? Jesus, you alone have the words of life. You alone have hope. You alone can bring the peace that we long for, the peace that this world needs. You alone can save and you alone can heal. You are the way maker. Where there is no way, you make a way. So God, would you lead your people, would you lead your church to a a place of repentance and give us the conviction to, to be with you. Give us the desire to want to be like you, to love like you. There's no one like you, Lord. There's no God, there's no leader, there's nothing like you. No one would ever be willing to lay down their life like you did. For those who despised you, who mocked you, who scorned you, who yelled out, crucify you. While we were your enemies, you died for us. You laid your life down like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. You didn't curse anyone while you were hanging on the cross. You extended forgiveness. You loved because you knew that your movement was to be one of love, of sacrifice, of truth and mercy. God, we, we confess that you alone have the words of life. Forgive us for turning to other things. God, we confess that you alone are on the throne. Lord, would you forgive us for neglecting the beautiful privilege to be your body here on earth? God, would you lead us? God, we want to see the city of Austin be forever changed through the power of the gospel. God, would you open our eyes to see people the way you see people? God, would you create opportunities for us to build relationships and to show the way of Jesus and tell people about the way of Jesus? Lord, we commit our hearts to you. And Lord, as we sing words back to you, God, would you seal your work in our hearts this morning?